0: Welcome aboard. We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime. Ready when you are, CB. Action. Welcome to a special edition of Monoreal Radio. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And welcome to 2020, by the way, our first show of the new year. Yes. Happy New Year, listeners. Yes. Hopefully everybody had a fun celebration and a safe celebration out there. Um, Well, you know, a lot of people were gifted with Disney Plus this year for the holidays. You know that because if you're on social media, I mean, how many people did you see finally catching up on some of the straight to Disney Plus content, or even digging into like some of the stuff from their childhood they hadn't seen in a long time.
1: Yeah, it's kind of been fun seeing that all over again because we were in the parks on November 12th when Disney Plus was released. So it's kind of cool to see what everybody's like first move is as soon as they get it because we kind of missed out on that a little bit.
0: Yeah, we had to wait almost a week, I think. Was it like five days? Yeah, it was about five days from until launch.
1: we got to see it. But I mean, we were in magic kingdom for very merry the day that it was really i wasn't paying uh, yeah. to my social media i'm not
0: cl- i'm not complaining let's not let's not confuse that with a complaint
1: right so it was kind of like getting to relive that all over again and actually be able to pay attention to what people wanted to jump right into
0: and a lot of people were either off from school or took off from work just a matter of where the holiday fell this year uh, with christmas really being in the middle of the week and a lot of people extended their week To take the full week and a half or two weeks in some cases,
1: I could extend another week. Yeah, I just saying. But a lot of
0: people made good use of that time, like catching up on the Mandalorian. Um, This has been a really, really groundbreaking show. It's one of you know, it's the first live action Star Wars television show. There's been animated shows and there's been the Star Wars holiday special that we don't ever discuss. But really, (laughs) this is the first go around at a live action series and we're going to break it down and we're going to talk about it here but I know my first impression when I heard they were doing this was excitement because while it's not Boba Fett because Boba Fett wasn't really a Mandalorian he just wore the attire I am happy that rather than just do a Boba Fett movie that this is where they extended their reach because Without getting into it too much, there's a lot that can spin off of this, both in the parks and in film and television.
1: We had mentioned that when we reviewed Star Wars, the latest trilogy a couple of weeks ago, was that they do such a great job of leaving so many little breadcrumbs. You can kind of pick up the trail whenever you want to with all these different storylines. But what I'm happy about is that they finally delivered in some capacity on the Boba Fett thing, because that has been rumored so many times. And I think it was even in development, and then they pulled it. They've been so back and forth with it. I'm glad that they finally did something. And what I really liked about this, too, was the viewing experience, was that it wasn't like Netflix, where, like, when Stranger Things drops, you've got an entire season and You've got to binge the whole thing before you find out a spoiler. Yeah. It was so nice to enjoy episodic television and watch this one week at a time. And I think it made me enjoy it that much more. And then, of course, we binged it this weekend. So we did get the binge experience, too. Yeah, I think that half the fun of
0: this show really is the anticipation of what comes next. Because you're right, with the ability to binge on Netflix, don't get me wrong, there are times where I am so happy to just sit there for three hours or four hours and just go crazy and watch all the stranger things that I can. But there's something to be said, like you mentioned, about episodic television and missing that build and that anticipation and the way that they leave you on cliffhangers because it it becomes water cooler talk too on social media now more than ever, but... I mean, we had a Christmas party for our friends right before Christmas, and what dominated a lot of the conversation? The Mandalorian. Yeah. And these are people that couldn't care less about Disney, but they're Star Wars fans. Or they couldn't care less about Star Wars, but they're a big Disney nut, so they had to jump on board and see what the fuss was all about.
1: I think... That was also a big part of it for Star Wars fans, too, is that now you also didn't have to wait years between sequels. And you could watch something and have more of it the next week.
0: Yeah, especially because you're knocking these things out in roughly 40 to 45 minutes. So you can find the time to watch it, whereas sometimes you don't have two hours, two and a half hours to sit and watch a full film. Right. Well, we're going to start with chapter one, um, where we see the Mandalorian, he is the bounty hunter, and he's been sent by a client to go track what is being referred to as the asset. The asset has been called Baby Yoda. It's been argued that it's not Baby Yoda, that it can't be Baby Yoda. It's the child, it's the asset. Jon Favreau has said so
1: himself. He did correct Bob Iger on it for calling it Baby Yoda. It is of the species, but I want to do this right. We will refer to it as the child and the asset, even though Baby Yoda just makes it even more cute.
0: Yeah. Um, Let's start talking about this episode. Um, Strong start by Favreau. Let me tell you something. A strong start by Favreau and one of the best pilots, because technically speaking, even though it was already picked up, for all intents and purposes, this is a pilot.
1: It could have failed.
0: But it didn't. This is one of the best first goes that I've ever seen.
1: It's like he said to J.J. Abrams, hold my beer.
0: Walking Dead had a great pilot. Dexter had a great pilot. Maybe no pilot on Earth was as good as the Breaking Bad pilot. But this chapter one of The Mandalorian really does give it a run for its money.
1: No, Favreau came out swinging. I think he had to, because like like you said, it is still a pilot. There was the potential for failure. I mean, it was already shot, so I don't think that they were going to necessarily cancel it the way that network television would, but they did renew it for season two almost immediately because it was that good and the production value is that high.
0: Yeah, and because it's Star Wars, it obviously is going to attract an audience and disney knows what they have in star wars this is a major ip that they own completely there's so much that comes from the licensing the merchandising and as i said before the spinoffs that they can do not just in television and film but also in the parks i mean you could in theory build batu into this storyline
1: Which I was kind of hoping that they would because I know that Disney was very careful not to have to pick and choose with what they were putting from the universe in and make it so super specific to any of the films. I mean, okay, for Smuggler's Run, you have the Falcon. But they didn't make Galaxy's Edge an interactive experience based on any one film. But at the same time, because it is fully immersive, I kind of do want to like step into the movie, which they do. That's not to say I mean, they did such a phenomenal job with it. You are being put in that world, but it would be cool to actually have something to tie back and feel like I'm walking the set of.
0: Yeah, but I think that if they would have done it in the first season, it would have come off like a commercial. I think you got to wait a couple of seasons before you introduce something like Batu into the Star Wars universe on screen.
1: What I really appreciate that they did do with this pilot episode is that they were able to hook us into a character that we're never going to see. Almost and you know the mandalorian is faceless they do establish that they never take the helmet off so we know that going in and yet they're able to make this a likable and engaging character that you don't it you know it's not even like an animation where you see it emote there's nothing yeah and they still gave us enough to latch onto here
0: from the opening scene of this show the tension is palpable yes That's where I think credit is due to the writers, the directors, and the actors because, like you said, we're not looking at a face. We're just looking at a mask. You're looking at a facade. The fact that they were able to create tension and excitement and drama the way that they did, I mean, you cut the tension with a knife, was just, I mean... Hook, line, and sinker. I remember when they got to the opening um the opening credit card. You know, the title card. Yes. That just said The Mandalorian. I was I turned to you and I said, This is going to be the best show on television.
1: No, and I love that sketchbook quality that they gave that title card. That's really cool looking.
0: Yeah. I mean they really knocked it out of the park. But The acting, the action. I mean, a lot of what we're saying right now is going to get repetitive. So I'm just telling you that right now as the listener. Um, But I don't think anything was as shocking as when you saw the child for the first time. Because the fact is, knowing that this storyline takes place between... The Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens, Yoda has long since passed away. Right. And that's
1: not a spoiler. You know that going in. You know that going in. So you see it
0: and it's absolutely shocking because you really don't know what to make of it. You don't know what he is.
1: Right. You know, and this is where I think Favreau took such issue issue with it. You know it's not Baby Yoda. It can't be. It doesn't fit in the timeline anywhere, but... I think that's why there were so many questions because it's like, okay, well, where is this going to fit in? I have to imagine because of where this takes place, they are going to figure out a way to tie it back into the latest trilogy. Um, Whether that means the asset is going to make it all through or not, who knows, but it was just so unexpected that that's what they chose to really base this around because it really does become more about the asset than it does the Mandalorian. But I also think it was a really smart choice to do something like this because where the Mandalorian doesn't have a face, this has an adorable one. And I think that's why everybody latched onto it so much because it gives us the visual and it gives us the emotion that we're not getting from the Mandalorian. I mean, they are really polar opposites.
0: Yeah. And just as shocking and striking as it is when you see the asset for the first time, it's almost bumped off immediately. Yeah. They had one of these um, uh, bounty droids that was going to come in and eliminate the asset. And, of course, Mando, as they called him, sort of breaks his own code and kills the droid to save the asset. So right away he's a very complex character because he has a code he has a job he's willing to stick to it but he'll only go so far which is what separates him from the other Mandalorians
1: yeah and they really I don't want to delve into it too much but they really do come full circle with that by the eighth episode
0: right so that is the first episode in A nutshell.
1: And there there are, like I said, there's eight episodes. That is the last one of this first season. So if you haven't seen it yet, we are going to be discussing this with some spoilers. So maybe you don't want to listen to this full episode just yet if you haven't seen all of The Mandalorian.
0: Right. And IG-11 is the name of the droid that is there to destroy the asset. Well, we move on to Chapter 2, The Child. Um, where you see the Mandalorian with the child. Uh, he goes back to his ship as he's trying to get off the planet that he's on to find out that it's been stripped by Jawas. And we also see Quill. Quill is is the character we did meet briefly in the first episode as well. Didn't mention him, but he comes back around, voiced by Nick Nolte. Um, and and I, I think that's a puppet. I don't think that is uh, CGI. I think that's a mask that quill. If it's CGI, it's unbelievable because it looks real.
1: Yeah, that's almost, that just reminded me of when we went on Smuggler's Run. The first time the people behind us were actually arguing over whether or not it's an animatronic or a person in costume. Kondo Anaka? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think
0: it is a puppet because if you notice when it speaks, its lips do not always, they're not always sync with the voice actor. If it was CGI, it would be flawless.
1: Well, I know it's not Nick Nolte in there because oh, the course. the physicality doesn't match up. Yeah. But I I don't know about that. It's impressive.
0: I think it's a puppet. Well, you see him again and he basically helps uh, the Mandalorian negotiate with the Jawas to get his stuff back. And to do so, they send him to go retrieve the egg. Um from the Mudhorn, which is kind of like a rhino creature.
1: It looks like one of the things that uh, Anakin, Queen Amidala, that they battled when they threw them into the gladiator ring.
0: Yeah, 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 with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yes. So you see it, and he goes to fight the thing off, and it's really kind of whipping him around. And and you see the child use the force to lift this thing off the ground. And Mando's then able to kill it and retrieve the egg, which the Jawas eat. (laughs) And that's all they wanted to do was have a snack. And they released everything back to him. And they worked to repair the ship so that they can leave the planet. Um, Strong follow-up episode.
1: Not quite as fast-paced, but there's definitely a lot going on.
0: Right. I think you had to anticipate after that first episode, though, that threw so much at you, that this was going to slow down some.
1: This was more exposition
0: than anything
1: else. You get a little bit of Mando's backstory as well. Um, They do the flashback to when he was a child. Um, But it is really heavily centered around the Jawas, who, by the way, remind me of Gus Gus from Cinderella. Yeah, they kind of do, They sound just like him, and they want to eat.
0: Yeah. Um, Chapter three is called The Sin, and that's where you see the Mandalorian deliver the child to his client on Navarro. He collects his bounty of Beskar steel, which you do see in the pilot episode as well. And And I'm thinking, you know, it's Imperial. I'm thinking it has some sort of monetary value, but basically they just melt it down. And continue to build upon the armor of the Mandalorian. Right. And uncharacteristic of him, he really does worry about what they're going to do to the child because he believes they're going to kill it. And he goes back and he rescues the child from Dr. Pershing, who swore he was not going to kill the child. But... He does take him back, and regardless of what the doctor says, I do believe that he likely did save the child's life.
1: You know, that's why he had the soft spot for the child, and that's why he did rescue it, because now they start building on the flashback when he was a child and you see that he lost his parents in what they refer to as the Great Purge.
0: Right, which you see more and more of as the... Series goes on, and and that's what I like about this so much, too, is that they do leave you on cliffhangers, but for the most part, there's a couple of bridge episodes of this series, and and every series is sort of guilty of it, but at least in this one, it does build more and more and more of the backstory so that you eventually get to a story arc that makes sense.
1: The backstory is what builds, but the way that it's shot it almost feels like vignettes. The The backstory is pretty much the thread that connects all eight episodes together because each one, when you isolate it, it does tell a pretty complete story.
0: Yeah. Moving on to the next episode, Chapter 4, Sanctuary. We see... Now, this, this episode was infamous for the boom mic.
1: Don't even get me started.
0: Directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, who... We saw the episode the first time and didn't notice the boom mic and you said your opinion of Bryce Dallas Howard had changed after this episode because you are not the biggest fan.
1: I have serious issues with cer- certain female directors who ride on daddy's coattails straight to the top. And oh
0: like the Coppola kid?
1: Just like the Coppola kid. Yes, that Coppola kid.
0: Um, She's like 50 and I'm calling her the Coppola (laughs) kid, by the
1: way. (laughs) Sophia Coppola. While it has gotten a little bit better since the Time's Up movement, there are still very few and far between female directors. So when this is what we have as our role models, you best deliver and you best be good at what you're doing. And... Bryce Dallas Howard, I don't really think that she's a great actress. I think that she is relying on her father's name to get film roles and now direct. And I was actually really impressed the first time we saw this because I love the village that they set up. Um, we meet Gina Carano's character, uh, Claire Dune. Cara Doon. Cara Doon. Uh, and... You know, she's a very strong female character and I think that they did a really good job of, you know, writing her and directing her. And I was like, okay, maybe Bryce Dallas Howard's place is behind the camera and, you know, she's stronger there. And then, you know, admittedly, I hadn't caught it. And then as soon as I went back and watched it, I'm like, oh, my God, it's so obvious, you know, and what is frustrating Is that they're writing this off is that most people who are using a streaming service like Netflix or in this case, Disney Plus, a lot of people now are watching on phones and on tablets. And that's why you're getting either it shouldn't be cropped out of the shot because the widescreen should still be the same aspect ratio and you should still should get the same picture but what it is is the blacks and the way that the blacks look on certain viewing devices right. so that's why you're not seeing it on a phone because they get crushed and everything kind of melts together versus on the television where it's a lot more clear and then you see it
0: when you're watching it on 65 inches in 1080 yeah <laughs> but otherwise though you had the
1: budget it yeah. wouldn't have killed you to reshoot it but
0: other than that I think we can both agree that while that's an egregious error, she did do a very good job with this episode.
1: It's not as egregious as the Game of Thrones coffee cup which I don't believe for a second wasn't intentional just to get more publicity for a show that does not need publicity.
0: That's you don't leave a Starbucks cup on a table in Game of Thrones no. by accident.
1: And with the actor sitting right there, continuity, you know, you have someone on set just watching for continuity. Right. There's a million eyes on it. I don't believe for a second that that was a mistake. This was a mistake, and it should have been corrected.
0: Agreed. But anyway, back to the episode. Um, The crux of this one is that the Mandalorian has gone to the planet Sorgan, and he has decided he's going to leave the child here. It's a nice place for it to live and be raised. Much safer than being with him, but uh, Imperial... ATSTs show up, the villagers fight it back and destroy it, and then a guild bounty hunter arrives to kill the child, but is killed by Kara, and it's at that point that he realizes that the child must travel with him. Yeah, this was a really, again, a really strong episode, and what I, I think the big takeaway here is two things. Number one, he's stuck with the child. There's no way he's going to get rid of it at this point. But... I think what this show has done up to this point in time is when they introduce a character, any character, it's continuously a strong introduction. And I think that this was a great introduction for Cara Dune.
1: I keep you know why I keep wanting to call her Claire is because I'm thinking of Hoopty Doo Review and the character is Claire Delune. And that's where in my mind this is <laughs> this is all kind of getting mixed up. Um, no, she's so strong. I mean, I like Gina Carano, period. She, you know, she does most of her own stunts. She's a pretty badass actress. Um, but I think she was a great fit for this show. I love what they did with her hair. I think that's so, you know, that asymmetrical, how one side's braided and then it gets long on the other. I think that's so fitting of Star Wars. Um, No, and I just really like this episode because this is also, you know, like you said, you see, you know that he's stuck with the child at this point, but you really start to see how conflicted he is. Yeah, because this village was theoretically safe and they kind of tiptoe around a romantic interest with one of the villagers and even... Kara says that to Mando at one point is you could give it all up and you could just stay here and raise the child here and have, you know, a family. And he really seems to be mulling it over.
0: Yeah, but he also does not want to give up what he's worked his entire life for. I mean, he has dedicated his life to basically what he has at times referred to as the religion of the Mandalorian.
1: Right, what I also really like about this episode, too, is the production value is incredible. Because I thought they maybe found some like remote village somewhere in Asia. No, this was Southern California. They yeah, just they did an amazing job with this set. Built an incredible set.
0: I think what I like most about the production value of this show, and I don't feel I'm jumping the gun here, because it's true in every episode... I think the sets and the CGI are spectacular. And it drives me crazy when I watch something like The Last Jedi and you watch that casino scene with that horrific CGI. This is a television show that is made on a much smaller budget than The Force Awakens. I understand it's eight episodes or nine episodes... And they're running 40 minutes apiece, And there's a lot less to do than there is on a major film like that. However, when you put a film like that out in theaters, you're doing it with the anticipation of making a billion dollars at the box office. How you're able to accomplish that on this television show, but at times you can't pull it off in film, and I have often said on this show, I think CGI is as good as it's going to get. I don't think it can get any better than it is. I think we rely on it too much. and I actually think it's taken a step backwards. But this show does it perfectly. It's just enough.
1: I don't think Favreau would settle for anything less, though. I think he's got way too much integrity for that.
0: Because even if you go back and watch The Jungle Book, which I'm very hot and cold on, that movie does not look fake.
1: Right. Well, I can make you feel better about all of this. We can go see cats.
0: No, I'm good. Thanks. The next episode is Chapter 5, The Gunslinger. There's a lot going on here. So in the essence of kind of keeping it short and giving it a brief synopsis, uh, you see the Mandalorian help a rookie bounty hunter who's in over his head. He's trying to join the guild. The guy ends up double-crossing him. They're hunted down in the desert. This this is the um, this episode is the equivalent of taking ten pounds of stuff and putting it in a five pound bag. Um, I think a lot goes on here, but I don't really think as I'm looking back on it now, I don't think this episode necessarily ties back around to anything.
1: No, this is the only episode in an otherwise great series that does tend to drag a little bit because I don't feel it really does anything to move the story forward. I do like it, though, because you've got um, Jake Cannavale playing the rookie. Uh, That's Bobby Cannavale's son and uh, grandson of Sidney Lumet, which I actually just uh, learned. He's got quite the uh, quite the bloodline. Um, And you've also got uh, an unrecognizable Amy Sedaris.
0: Yes. Yeah, I didn't... It's Like, at first, I thought it was Tracy Ullman.
1: Yeah, no, I wasn't sure who was... Like, you you know it's somebody that you know, and then it wasn't until I went and looked it up. Like, everybody wanted in on this show. There are so many cameos throughout this series, which we're going to get to more in the next couple of episodes.
0: Yeah, but this, of all of them, I can't even say this was a bridge episode because it doesn't bridge you to anything. Um... The action is okay. The characters are okay. Yes, by far the weakest episode of the first series of this show.
1: The only thing where I'm kind of into it, I really like the bikes that they're riding.
0: The speeders? Yeah, we kind of saw those in Return of the Jedi, sort of.
1: Yeah, I knew it wasn't the first time seeing them, but... I thought it might have been, like, a variation on something we've seen before, but it looked cool. Like, I want to go do... Like, that's an experience. You want to do a a fully immersive ride. Maybe in California. Yeah, maybe. Let me go ride one of those things through the desert.
0: Chapter 6, The Prisoner. Um, You see the Mandalorian contact his former partner, Ran, looking for work. Because, really... In spite of all of this, he is a bounty hunter, so he does work job from you know job to job, and he gets his bounties, and this is how he makes his living. He ends up in this mission. He gets double crossed, and he's got to fight his way out of captivity. And he outsmarts the people that double cross him. Long story made short, he puts a tracking beacon on one of them who show up. Uh, well, it's it's a couple of X wings show up, um, and destroy. The spaceport that they're on, which uh, ends the life of Ran, who also goes to double-cross the Mandalorian. So I think if this serves any purpose, this episode, that is, I think it serves the purpose that he really is, other than with the child, he's very much in this by himself. Because you don't know who you can and who you cannot trust. For all intents and purposes, this should be a bridge episode the same way the Gunslinger is, but the difference between the two of them is that this episode kept you on the edge of your seat while he escaped his captivity and one by one picked off his traitors. You don't get any of that in the Gunslinger.
1: Right. To touch on what you said about it demonstrating how really alone that he is in all of this... um, it also establishes that he's not doing what's convenient for him in the moment or something that's going to make him money. You know, it, it eliminates any thoughts that you may have of like a Jack Sparrow kind of thing right. where you're not exactly sure what he's going to do and that, you know, he's only working for his own self-interest. It's not like that at all.
0: And I think if I remember correctly, I think this is the episode when you first see the child try to use what I believe is the force on something other than lifting that creature that he had to battle in the second episode because he's repairing, he's got he's got a skin, he's got a, las- or a laceration from his battle and I believe that's the episode where the child tries to heal him for the first time and he goes, oh, just stop that and he kind of brushes him off.
1: I believe you're right. And, you know, that's an important thing because it's starting to really tie into what we know because obviously we know that they will use the Force to heal. We've seen Yoda do it. We see Rey do it later on. We see Kylo Ren do it. Um, but what I also like, too, is that there is the nod to the X-Fighters, so it really gives us a familiar visual so that you know exactly where you are in this timeline. Right
0: and at least in that aspect you're seeing something that is tying back around to something you will see later in the story where whether is um whereas the other episode it, it like i don't think anything
1: cycles back around
0: so at least in that little scene it's something that you can build upon
1: yeah the the nod to tatooine was just kind of unmotivated i mean hopefully they deliver on it but i don't i don't think so Right. You know, the rookie doesn't even make it through the episode. So I can't imagine that they're going to have to go back there for any reason. Honorable mention in this episode, you've got an appearance from Mark Boone, who you know from Sons of Anarchy, and Bill Burr, who's a stand-up comedian. And, you know, like we said, Amy Sedaris is in it, too. So everybody, it seems, wanted in on the show.
0: And I think the other thing, too, is that at least this episode, I felt the cast was stronger. Nothing against Jake Cannavale but I felt this was the better cast all around.
1: Yeah, I liked him kind of rejoining with his older group for a second, even though it didn't pan out. There was that sense of camaraderie. And even this was kind of more of a lighthearted episode too because they make that joke about the Gungans.
0: Yeah, when they were trying to convince him to take his mask off and they wondered if that's why.
1: Yeah, if you're a Gungan under there. So I, I like that Favreau took the dig.
0: Chapter seven is called The Reckoning. We see that Mando has received a message from Grief Karga, and basically what's about to happen is Karga tells him that they should use the child as bait because they're going to double-cross and kill the client on Navarro. They are engaged in... uh, It's not really a battle so much as it is an attack, while they're camping out in the desert. And grief appears to be mortally wounded. And the child strolls up to him, and he puts his hand up again, just like we saw him do with Mando. And in a a great line that is so perfectly delivered by Carl Carl Weathers, he goes, he wants to eat me! (laughs) Perfect. Um, But instead he uses the force to heal him. And stop the poison that was spreading through his body because he was scratched by one of these flying creatures. That it was, was like a
1: pterodactyl almost. And, and
0: basically he was he was going to die a very quick death, but instead he is rescued. And let's finish the episode and then we'll circle back around to this. Um, you then see that they do send um, the child off with uh, Quill and Mando, Kara, and Grief, go to meet with the client. Um, we're then introduced to Moff Gideon, who contacts the client to tell him that he's been double-crossed. And then in a couple of cut scenes back and forth, you see that Gideon's troopers have shot up the building, killing the client and everybody inside except for Mando Cara and Grief. Meanwhile, Quill has been killed by scout troopers and the child has been captured. What this episode does very well is a couple of things. First, you finally see that the child has the Force and that he's using it for more than just levitating that creature from the second episode. You see that there is a character out there that really can pose a threat to Mando. Because up until this point, you haven't really seen it. And I think that's why it's important to introduce a character like Moff Gideon. Because Mando's classically trained, so to speak, in the ways of uh, fighting his way out of situations. He's very skilled with a blaster. I mean, he's skilled in, the, in hand-to-hand combat. Basically, any any means of fighting his way out of a situation. But the other thing that this does is it creates a cringeworthy scene that set the internet on fire and blew the minds of everybody because the child who you have grown to love because you believe it's Baby Yoda, even though we know it's not, has now been captured. And the emotion is raw, and it's real, and I can't remember the last time I've seen the internet lose its
1: marbles
0: the way it did after the child is captured.
1: Well, I think it kind of lost its marbles at the introduction of the child because I. that's the other thing that I've loved most about this series is the memes that have come along with it. Yes. Amazing. They just keep getting better and better. Um What I like most about this episode is that there is... So much double crossing. It's really action packed and you really have to be paying attention because you don't really know if you can trust Karga because at first he's saying they're going to go and use the child as a decoy to go kill the client, which I never really trusted. And as it turns out, it was all a setup for Mando. And it kind of reminds me of Solo in that way that You don't really know which end is up and who to trust. And they do bring it full circle when they bring in Moff Gideon because he takes out his own men to prove a point.
0: Yeah, and that was totally necessary.
1: So now you've got the child captured. Your main characters are all in peril. And it really does set up that big climax before the last episode.
0: Yeah, and you've seen now IG-11 has been rebuilt by Quill and he's now a nanny... Dro- uh, droid. He's not a hunting droid anymore, which within itself provides a little bit of comic relief. And I think what this show does well, and you you see it re- uh, you know quite a bit in this episode. You do get it a little bit in chapter eight, though more so here. I think at least um, is proper use of comedy. Um, that's what the last Jedi couldn't figure out. It's what a lot of shows that are too serious and try to insert the funny, sometimes it's a little too jarring. But it's done tastefully in The Mandalorian, especially in this episode.
1: Tastefully and strategically.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not over the top at all. And it's not so much that it takes you out of the story. No. And then you see IG-11 again as the nanny droid in one of the opening scenes of the series finale, Chapter 8, Redemption, where he kills the scout troopers that have captured the child. And you see Karga, Dune, and Mando as they are ready to face their demise, really, because they can't quite escape until IG-11 arrives and helps break them out through that plumbing system We've also seen that Mando has been shot and he's, you know, basically willing to die um, because now he wants the child saved. He's willing to send the child with Kara and grief while he fights off uh, Gideon and whatever troopers he sends. And and then you see again um, that he is saved by the child, And they escape through the tunnels. You find that the Mandalorian, as a religion at least, is basically over. Um, Mando is one of the last ones. He's his own crew with the child now. Um, And IG-11 sacrifices himself to help them out of, again, a perilous situation because as they're exiting through this plumbing tunnel, um, at the end of the tunnel is a gaggle of troopers ready to destroy them. But IG-11 walks out of the tunnel, uses his self-destruct, kills them all. And then you see Gideon as he attempts to attack the three of them, well, really the four of them because the child is there as well. And you see Mando with a jetpack... Fly up. He just received his jet pack, flies up, attaches explosives to the tie fighter that Gideon is flying, and Gideon crash lands. And um, one of the last things that you see after Mando escapes with the child is Gideon cuts himself out of the tie fighter with a dark saber, which is a Mandalorian artifact. And I've often wondered. If you'd ever see a black saber, and that's not necessarily, I don't think it's a lightsaber per se, but I do like the look of it, and it leaves you with a hell of a cliffhanger, getting you into season two, which we know is going to come in the fall of 2020. We don't have a date, we just know fall of 2020, it's
1: coming. It does leave us with a great setup for season two, however, let's go back to the beginning of this episode. Okay. It's otherwise great except for this opening sequence. I feel like it takes forever to get them out of the decimated cantina and through the plumbing. I feel like that drags. However, it's cut against what I think is the best comedic moment of the series where the two scout troopers who have captured the asset are arguing because one of them wants to get a good look at the child And the other one's just like, nah, let's move on. Uh, Great cameo here by Jason Sudeikis, who plays one of the scout troopers.
0: Well, I got to interrupt you for a second because you're going to catch some flack for that one. This was one of the most controversial scenes of the entire series. People hated this scene. Didn't like the comedy, didn't like the pacing. And you know what? I think a lot of people didn't like the fact that they saw the child get punched on multiple occasions.
1: I'll give you that. I didn't like the child getting punched either. I thought that was pretty over the top and harsh. But, I mean, d- I think it's funny. The child bites one of them, you I know? Didn't
0: mind it. I, he got I, what was coming to him. I got a good laugh out of it. I did drag on a little bit.
1: You needed something, though, because the other scene that it's cut against is dragging even worse To, to for them to make their escape. You needed something here. You
0: needed something. But remember when I just said how strategically planned and how tastefully put the comedy was. You don't agree that this was that? No. I think it went on for too long. I think it's fine that you did it, but you could have trimmed a good 30 seconds off of this. Because I also don't find quote-unquote awkward comedy funny.
1: I do sometimes. In this case, I did. What I really don't like is that the nurse droid caught a case of forky syndrome as far as like i'm gonna self-destruct i'm gonna self-destruct and he needs to constantly be reminded that the nurse protocol trumps the droid protocol here right um i get where they were going that it was trying to elevate the scene and the tension a little bit and ultimately they do deliver because he is the one to sacrifice himself but it's like you got enough going on the lava river is really cool I didn't need the constant I'm ducking out
0: yeah I I agree with you there and you do see um, the Mandalorian without his helmet on of course was a very important scene here you actually do see Pedro Pascal uh, without the helmet on. Um, but otherwise, I said it before, a strong end to a first season. I, I do think it went out on a high note. I absolutely. I think you agree. Um, we've talked about almost everybody but Pedro Pascal up to this point. He's absolutely fantastic. And I have to say I was very happy to see that he lived through this episode because when he... When it looked like he was going to die, I wondered if the next episode, or the next season, I should say, would be another Mandalorian taking over. I mean, we know that there aren't many left, but I'm, I'm thinking, are they going to find one of the last remaining Mandalorian, like we had to find one of the last remaining Jedi? Is it going to parallel the new Star Wars trilogy in that aspect, but... He lived through it. I just don't think the show is nearly as engaging without him.
1: Right, because they could do the Captain America thing where if you put on the suit and embody Captain America, you know, they could go on forever with this and just have different actors play the Mandalorian if yeah, they well,
0: wanted to. Yeah, uh, yes and no. But they have to be they have to be an actual Mandalorian. Otherwise it's just Boba Fett.
1: Right. Well, what I do that's true what i do appreciate is they did draw that line though because i think it's karga who says but you're mandalorian and he corrects him and he's like that's not a race it's a creed right but with that theory if anybody pledges the creed yeah you could just keep having different actors play mando
0: right and we see him get rescued as a child you know you this episode it goes so far as to even tie back around and complete the flashbacks So a lot going on here, but I said it before and I'll say it again. This was a a great, a great finale to the first season. And I said it before and I'll say it again, a great setup for season two. Um, I can't wait to see where they go with this.
1: I think we need to take a moment of Favreau appreciation here. I mean, this man... He makes a Christmas movie that becomes an instant classic. I'm referring to Elf. He made us care about superhero movies because really he championed for Iron Man. And I don't know. I mean, I think eventually Marvel would have become what it is no matter what because of Stan Lee. But he was a major player, even though he had a small role as Happy Hogan.
0: Right. Well, he directed that film. Right. Without him, there is no MCU. If 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 Iron Man crashes and burns, there's no
1: MCU. But I mean he revolutionized that. And and now you didn't necessarily have a Star Wars movie, but like, look what you've just done with it for Disney Plus. This I un- is insane.
0: I understand that he's gonna be tied into The Mandalorian because he created it, he writes it. But if you needed any further evidence that, assuming the rumors are true, that Ryan Johnson is going to direct the next Star Wars trilogy, if you need further proof that the wrong man is at the helm, if The Last Jedi was not enough, and J.J. Abrams having to come back for The Rise of Skywalker, I, I understand he's tied down with The Mandalorian, but maybe... Star Wars, theatrically, needs to take a longer rest, focus on this, and then hand the reins over to Favreau for the next Star Wars trilogy. Or, like,
1: you gotta get him in as a consultant or screenwriter or just something if he's not directing.
0: I think this show proves that. Now, maybe Favreau has no interest in that. Maybe Favreau has no interest in doing more than season two of The Mandalorian. And he's going to feel like he's told his story and he wants to pass it on to somebody else because he is a very serious filmmaker. You know, all j- all joking aside about Favreau and you've seen him in a lot of comedic roles, he's very serious about filmmaking.
1: Seriously, go watch Chef.
0: Yeah, one of his best works. You know, even dating all the way back to Swingers. I mean, he really has had a hell of a career. He has. And he's been a bit character in a lot of movies as well.
1: And a, a butt of a lot of jokes as those characters, too.
0: Right. But he really has a great career. I think he's earned the right to be called a Disney legend. I was a little on the fence about it when they first announced it. I It wasn't until you go back and realize how much he's done with Disney. that You go, wow, he's really been with them a while. But I think this show cements him. I, I know a lot of people go, the MCU wasn't enough. You can make the argument that it was. This is what cements him for me as a Disney legend.
1: See, and that's funny because when I first heard about this, I was like, all right, cool, Favreau's got a Star Wars thing. I was never expecting this.
0: Yeah, I think this show exceeds expectations. And from cast to costume to set, but the one thing that you pointed out to me today as we watched the final episode again, and we were letting the the credits scroll through, you commented on the score.
1: Yes. It's absolutely incredible. It's on par with anything that John Williams has ever done. This was, uh, I hope I'm saying this right, Ludwig Gordensen. Um, It's just, it just works. I don't even know what else to say about it. It's emotional, but it's got that It's action driven, cinematic feel, but not too over the top because it's still television. So you're still fitting it in that medium where it's not, you know, it's not like the credits are rolling at the end of a two hour film and. You're you've been on an emotional roller coaster for two hours, and it kind of ties it up nicely at the end and tells you how you're supposed to feel when you're leaving. It's triumphant at the end, yes, but
0: but not in a cheesy way like how you've heard "Chariots of Fire" parodied a million times.
1: But it's also not too triumphant because we've been set up for the next one, so it doesn't create a false sense of security that we're done here. Right.
0: Um. So uh, yeah, I think for me at least. Final synopsis, this is the best show on television. There's not one show on TV right now. Now, given I've not seen Game of Thrones, I have no interest in watching Game of Thrones. I will watch it eventually, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, we're late to the party on Game of Thrones, and I think when we go, it's going to be kicking and screaming.
0: It's just not my cup of tea. Um, I hate The Walking Dead. I think it's terrible. I used to love it. It
1: got terrible.
0: It used to be great. It sucks, um, and and I'm sugarcoating it when I say it sucks. I have far, uh, I I have far more colorful language I can use about The Walking Dead, but we are a family show after all. Um, but I can't think of one thing right now on TV that's better than this show.
1: No, and I think that this is what. Disney Plus absolutely needed because, you know, Netflix original programming is on fire and they really introduced this idea of doing the whole series and releasing it straight as if it is a movie. You know, HBO had been doing that for a while. Like, let's not forget about Sex and the City and Sopranos where, you know, the idea has been there for a long time about creating, and I i don't mean this about Sex and the City, but let's talk Sopranos. Uh, the idea of creating a cinematic quality television show yes, to be consumed every week, where it really did elevate the storytelling, elevate the production value, and we've seen it build with shows like Breaking Bad, like Dexter, at one point Walking Dead. So I think Disney Plus needed to come out swinging like this, and I think it was a huge gamble to do it with Star Wars, but it paid off. Well they 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 needed something to legitimize them as well. Yes. High school
0: musical, the musical, the series is fun. Encore is fun. But they needed something other than that. They needed something epic. Something on par on par with The Walking Dead. Something on par with Stranger Things. And they found it. And they absolutely crushed
1: it. No, and you know what? Because it's Star Wars, you could have done anything. They could have taken the easy way out. Because it is such a popular IP and you're going to have that audience no matter what. But the key here is that this is great storytelling. Yes. And that's what's important because we're going to continue to watch, I think, people who were maybe on the fence about Disney Plus and were like, all right, I have my entire DVD collection. What do I really need it for? I think this is your selling point. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. We're interested to know what you have to say about The Mandalorian. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also send us an email monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this bonus content this week to kick off the new year. We were really excited to talk about this one because in spite of the fact that it is a TV show, I think we've waxed poetic that it is cinema quality. Absolutely. And I think that in a lot of ways, especially having binged on it, now it does feel like a cinematic experience, it's, as, it's almost as good as some of the best films that we've watched for this show. I think that it's certainly, compa- and we've only done a couple of Star Wars films, but I think it's better than a lot of the Star Wars films that has so far come out since Disney has acquired Lucasfilm.
1: Yeah, I mean, that is really why we chose to do this, because it does feel more like a film, not just because it's built into the Star Wars universe, or eventually will be. I hope that they connect those dots. But, um, you know, I don't know that we are going to do this for High School Musical, the musical, the series.
0: It's cute, it's fun, but... Th- this is this is on its own level uh,
1: yeah i mean that's it maybe we do it eventually but i don't know that i have as much to say on high school musical or that i even care that much i, I when i watch high school musical i feel like i'm watching a television show
0: and that that's what i'm saying like this is so you're supposed different.
1: to yeah you're supposed to it's got that modern family they wrote a script to make it feel like a reality tv which is fun and it works for the comedy but like it's not like this this is a miniseries right and, or like a made for tv movie
0: yeah and i think that if this is any indication of what the obi-wan kenobi series is going to be with you and mcgregor yeah that's exciting that's very very exciting Again, thank you so much for joining us. We can't we can't do this without you guys, and we do this for you guys. So don't forget, if you have friends and family who are fans of Disney, fans of Disney Plus, fans of Star Wars, please share this episode, let them know that it's out there, and please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, to like us on your social media, and to give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice or on Facebook as well, because we've said it before and we'll say it again we're excited for 2020 we're looking to build in 2020 and we can't wait to grow the show with you for jackie i'm sean have a magical week everyone on behalf of monoreal radio we'd like to thank you for joining us we'll see you at the movies the stuff dreams are made of